brand new magazine and podcast exists to inspire, motivate and invigorate women to step into their businesses as truly themselves. Full of real life stories, practical solutions and inspirational ideas from fellow entrepreneurs. Each issue has a different theme that showcases the many values, beliefs and morals that women build their businesses around today. So, be your business and brand you. Welcome to the Profesh issue of Brand You Magazine. In this issue, we are celebrating women with typically professional career paths who have had success by going a little or a lot left field, and in doing so, have broken down many of the stereotypical norms of their industry. Aussie Royal Romance author and chiclet queen Rachel Johns talks about what it takes to go from teacher to internationally published novelist. Her journey and her books are inspirational. Listen in for a total page turner for your ears. So Rachel, tell us a little bit about your original traditional career path that you chose to go down before you ended up doing what you do now. Yes. Well, it's kind of a bit of a convoluted story because I always wanted to be a primary school teacher from when I was quite young, I think after having like a year two teacher. And so I was really keen on that and very obsessed with it. I mean, I, you know, every sort of teenager and child goes through different, I wanted to be a journalist. I wanted to be a vet, you know, those usual things. But I always came back to primary school teaching and I was going to do it. I, I enrolled to do primary school teaching. But then actually it was the summer holidays between finishing school and 12 that I decided I wanted to be a writer. Of course, I had I wasn't a big reader back then. I won't go into the long, boring story of how it all happened. So I decided then to change to a writing degree, which was a terrible thing to do, but that's a whole other story. <laughs> and so after finishing my writing degree, four years, and then sort of thinking, okay, what, what job can I do? Because, you know, you can't just write a book and necessarily guarantee you're going to get published. And I was still very, very young. And there were so many things wrong with my books. As I said, that's a long, that's a long, it's a long story on what happened. But so I knew then, you know, as well as having this dream that I had always of wanting to be a writer, well, not always, but at that time, I needed a career that was kind of going to be not, not, I suppose, sensible, but also something that I could rely on. But the moment, the probably the biggest thing was that we wanted to buy a house. I met my husband and we wanted to buy a house and I needed a job. So I decided you know what, I'm going to go back and do a dip ed because that's a sensible thing <laughs> to do. Even though I, I did I did want to be a teacher earlier on, you know, and I'm passionate about that, but my first love was writing at this stage. But, yeah, that was not something you can just immediately necessarily have success in because I didn't want to be a journalist or anything. I wanted to write books. So, you know, it wasn't a case of just getting a job in this, this industry or trying to get a job. So then I became a high school English teacher. Um, I didn't actually do it for very long. Uh, because I always wanted, during that time, I still wanted to write. So I stupidly um, decided to have a baby quite young because I thought if I had a baby, I could quit my job at least for a, a reasonable amount of time. I know, so stupid. Um, <laughs> and I thought, you know, it'll sleep all day and then I'll be able to write <laughs> my best-selling novel and then get that published and then I won't have to go back to teaching. You know, and, it's, and this sounds like I didn't like teaching and that's not the case. It's just that wasn't my number one passion. So I did that. So I worked for six months in teaching and then had a baby and it still didn't, I still tried to pursue my dream and stuff, but you know, once he got older and then my other kids, I went, I did relief teaching for a number of years, country towns that we lived in. So kind of, yeah, it's not exactly that I started in one thing and changed. It's, 
I think it's the fact that with writing as a career or fiction writing particularly, you know, you, there's no guarantees. There's a lot of luck. And so I needed something that I could, you know, some people get their right first book and they get it published and, it, and they immediately have, may have huge success and, and they can quit their job. But the majority of fiction writers can't just quit their day job. You know, it takes a number of years to sort of build up to that. Uh, but I, I, that would have been the case for me, except I had three young kids. So I could kind of, when I finally did get published, uh, I could kind of use them as an excuse and focus on the writing as well. So I did quit teaching after, you know, my first, probably my first book came out. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's not really a very, that's <laughs> a bit of a complicated story, but I hope that's what you wanted to know. So how did your time as a teacher prepare you for being a novelist? Did it? Or like, was there a skill set that came from that? I think there is in a way because you need to plan lesson plans and they're saying that, you know, I hear a lot of journalists say it, it prepared them because of deadlines and the fact you have to plan stories out and things like that. And I guess there's similar things in teaching. You know, you have you have time constraints and you've got to get something done. You can't just faff around. And uh, so I think the fact that you need to, I'm not a planner in my writing, but I try to you know, know a little bit about where I'm going. I'm not much of, you know, I know other writers who completely plan everything out, but I think, having that sort of routine and system and I'm unorganized person, but for a te- as a teacher, you have to kind of be organized. So I think, you know, teaching kind of helped me on one level. Yeah. It helps me with routine and organization and, and having a little bit of a basic plan that you need to follow. But the other thing is you meet a whole load of people. Uh, you work with different people, uh, so many personalities. And this is more uh, when I was relief teaching you know, different children and you see, you know, I imagine how they're going to grow up. And, and I've got, I got some ideas from, this is probably, I should, I won't say exactly, you know, I don't steal exactly people's, people's lives, but you know, writers are inspired by everyone they meet. And, you know, there are a few of my books that were inspired by other incidents that happened at school or parents that I talked to um, and think, and things like that. Uh, but I think the biggest thing it probably did is give me a bit of an income while I was trying to, so the relief teaching gave me an income while I was trying to pursue my writing dreams. And I think it's very important, you know, now my writing pays the bills and that can actually add an element of stress. So in some ways the the day job and the teaching gave me the permission to have fun and do something else without feeling that it had to be, you know, the be all and end all. Does that make sense? (laughs) Makes total sense. And now you have a very particular niche. So not only are you what would be categorised as a romance novelist. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Uh, pretty much. So I do two types of genres and one is definitely romance, yeah. Yeah. But you also have a very particular niche in that you do very country-based one. Is this from your experience living in small towns? Yes, uh, definitely it is. I actually, so I took a long time to get published. It took me 15 years after deciding I wanted to write a book. That's why I did a lot of relief teaching. I had kids and I was writing all that time. And, but I was actually trying to write for Mills and Boone for a number of years um, after university. First, I was trying to write university. They, might, they want you to write the Booker Prize winner or poetry. And, and I wanted to write something like Bridget Jones' Diary. So I was, I, that's why I kind of didn't really fit in that, in that mould. And, and that was a bit disillusioning and disheartening for a few years. And so it took me a while to find out what I did was passionate about. And then I found romance novels because I wasn't a big romance reader before. And I thought, oh, I'm going to give this a shot. Uh, everyone thinks it's really easy to write a romance novel and I'm here to tell you, well, maybe it is for some people, but it took me a long time to learn my craft. So I, I targeted Mills and Boone for a number of years, but I got very, very close 
but not quite there because they're very stringent in the type of books you have to write in terms of uh, they've got sexy characters, sweet uh, medical suspense. And I was just falling between their sort of sweet and sexy line. So I just, and I couldn't seem to up, you know, the sexy line has a lot of really alpha males, you know, Greek billionaires and all this type of, and it just wasn't me, but my voice was quite young and sassy. So the sweet line didn't kind of work for me either. So after a number of rejections, um, I was actually ready to give up writing, but I was living in a small town by this stage. Um, I'm a converted country girl, I call myself, because I grew up in the city and moved to a small town with about 2,000 people, and then later another one with 500 people. Um, And it was quite a shock. It was quite an eye-opener. I realised that, you know, there's quite a divide in the country that I didn't sort of see so much in the city between classes. And I was there as a supermarket manager's wife, And so basically no farmers' wives or farmers wanted to have anything to do with me. It seemed quite traditional still and and also cliquey in class. So it was a big shock. But then over the course of our time there, I fell in love with it and I found my place in the town and I realised, you know, there's a lot to love about small towns. There's good and bad. Everyone knows everyone. That's sometimes a good thing, sometimes a bad thing. Um, And so I loved all this. And then at the time that I was about to give up writing rural romance, which is what I write, which is a bit of a tongue twister, one of my genres, was kind of a big, a big thing. It was, it was starting to become a thing. And my friend who just got published in the genre said, why don't you stop writing and try to write for Milton Boone? Why don't you write a rural romance? And I felt like a bit of a fraud because I'm not a farmer. I wasn't married to a farmer. But then I thought, you know what, I'm going to focus on what I do love about small towns. And that is the community aspect and, you know, all the dramas and stuff, the highs and lows that goes on and the relationships. So that's what I did. I thought I'd give it one last ditch attempt and I swore I was going to give up writing if that didn't work. Whether or not I could have done that, I don't know because I think writing is a bit like catching a bug, you know, uh, one that's very hard to to get rid of. But, and I hear hear that a lot, that people are ready to give up and then they, they, that's the final, when they finally have some sort of success. So that's what I did. And I wrote that for a number of years. And really, I do love rural romance. I, my books are probably more romance than some of the rural romances. And some of them are more focused on the you know, environmental issues and the farming side of things. But they also allow me to write a whole host of different types of characters and secondary characters, which I wasn't able to do when I was targeting Mills and Boone, which is specifically about two people. But then, yeah, I kind of, they weren't my, romance novels weren't my first love, uh, more books that are sort of a little bit um they're more they're more about family relationships sibling rivalry sisters uh you know yeah, family dramas friendships between women and so then I sort of diverted into that genre as well a few years ago so now I kind of write in two different genres I write the rural romance and I write I guess what we call more contemporary women's fiction I hate that title women's fiction in some ways and other ways I, other reasons I love it but it doesn't really tell you much about it. But yeah, so I do write in the two the two strands now. Yeah. Well, Rachel actually sent me two of her books, which I I'm I'm a terrible when it comes to reading. My mum said that I used to just zone out the whole world. Like reading was my escape <laughs> when I was a kid. I loved it. I read like in the entire like adult teen section, which back when I was younger wasn't that big. So she had me like yeah. reading Will with Smith when I was like thirteen and fourteen. And I've learned really fast that if I have to focus on something, I cannot start a new book because once I'm in it, you don't see me. I plan my days around it. I, everything is about finishing that book. And I'm not kidding you. I smashed your two books out in a week. Oh, wow. That's awesome. 
<laughs> I know what you mean about the, the being sitting down and not being able to focus on anything else. You know, we constantly get emails from people saying, I stayed up till 3 a.m. in the morning. I read your book in a couple of days. And my mum's very much like that. She's got the time now as well that she can just sit down. And she's like, okay, today I'm not going to focus on anything else. I'm just going to read and she'll read a whole book. Sadly, my life is a bit crazy busy. And so, and I'm a slow reader, which I really hate. <laughs> Terrible being an author and a slow reader. But so I have to do a little bit each night and I, I do make sure I allocate a bit of reading time each day. I dream of the time when I, I mean, and I'm between books or it's holidays and some, then I do just try and, you know, read for hours on end and it's amazing when you can really immerse yourself in a book. <laughs> My husband doesn't understand it. I can actually juggle books so I can have two books on the go at once as well. Yes, me too. I do that. And um, a lot of my, I run an online book club and a lot of the people, I think you're either a faithful reader and you're monogamous to your book or you do like diving between a few. And I, I, I listen to audio books too. So, you know, I'll listen to an audio when I'm driving, when I'm exercising, and then I will stop that one. Uh, or housework too. Housework is great for exercise. I mean, not exercise, probably as well, but to listen to audio books. <laughs> that, so that's why I, I know I hide get a little bit more. <laughs> well, either do I. I. I was about to say, not that I do much of it, but um, it, it does help. Uh, when I you know, do on some on the weekend sometimes. So that really helps. So that's one way to get through more books, I find. Well, honestly, I, I'm, I'm a purist in a lot of ways. I still love, I think it's because I'm on the screen so much. I'm on a screen um, on my phone. I'm on my screen for my work that a friend and I, she has such an extensive library. Even if she's read the book and it's someone else's, she still has to go buy the book so she knows that she's got it in her library. <laughs> I um, love it. And we're both paper readers. Like we can't look at another screen. And when they arrived, like your books arrived. And I do the same thing when I get like beautiful new stationery in for a client or my fresh business cards, that smell, just something about that yes. paper and ink smell. I love that crack open of the first book. It's just, it's nothing quite like it. I completely agree with you. I'm a print reader for the same reason. I'm always on the screen all day. And, you know, so I prefer to read a print book, even though I've got them overflowing all of that and, you know, I've got no space for any more. I still keep buying them. <laughs> I'm, I'm one of those people that when it comes to like, I see a builder who builds a house, it fascinates me that they can do that in every little detail. And I'm the same with novelists. And, and like I said, I'm a really big reader because, but I'm a really big character reader. Like I love mm -hmm. when people really dig into characters and I feel really intimately attached to them. The majority of people I read now, I, I tend towards the ones that I can dive into a character yeah. and, and establish a relationship with them over time as well. Mm -hmm. And and I really felt you did that amazingly. Like I'm a big Nora, Nora Roberts reader. I love oh, yes. Sorry, I thought I should just yeah, sideline you there. So I have a couple of Nora stories. One, I cannot say on air, but I have met her. She won't remember who I am because I met her at a writing conference. And um, I'm usually, I'm very, I'm one of those people that's shy, but not shy, if that makes sense. So um, I'm shy in a lot of situations, but sometimes I just go a little crazy. And so she was there and I, it was a, a, a half author party, a half publisher party. And everyone had a few drinks and stuff. So I thought, stuff this. I'm going to go and ask for a selfie. <laughs> so I did. So, yep. She is amazing. She's the queen of fiction. I mean, to be able to keep writing good books for as long as she does and as many as she does. So, yeah, I've heard her speak and she is, she is an amazing woman. I feel like I know her through all of her characters that I've read. Mm. And 
I mean it genuinely, like I've read so many of her books and I felt a really strong correlation between what you do and what her books were. I loved your characterization of people. I sort of went, oh, this feels like I know another Nora Roberts character. So I just wanted to pass it. Oh, wow. (laughs) That's the biggest compliment anyone has ever given me. (laughs) Take it. Own it. (laughs) I will. Now, how many books do you have under your belt? Um, Well, I have. So we're talking print and digital a minute ago. So I did write a number, a couple of books for digital publishers just in the early years as well. I did also afterwards a long time. This is why I do everything backwards. I said I targeted Mills and Boone for many years. And then after about five years of being traditionally published by Harlequin, which is now HarperCollins in Australia, I then met a Mills and Boone editor at a writing conference. And she said, oh, why, have you ever just wondered about writing Mills and Boone? Because she was talking about ways to break out in America or, um, and to get sort of known because it's quite hard writing Australian sort of fiction like mine to sell overseas. You know, if you've got a big, big heart crime hook like Jane Harper, then, you know, you can seem to be able to do it. But there's a lot of people writing general sort of women's fiction. And so they've got their authors in the US and the UK and it's very hard for, you know, mine to a book. So she said, would you like to write a Mills and Boone? I said, actually, I tried that many, many years beforehand. So I've written three, I wrote three Mills and Boone for the um, Harlequin US office. I think I took on too much. And I think that's a tendency for all of us who either in small business or women or kind of, you know, it's very hard to say no. And it's very hard to turn down an opportunity of something that we do want to do. So sometimes we create too much on our plate. So I took on this contract while I was still trying to write two books a year in Australia. And so I kind of got a bit overwhelmed and stressed. I didn't write any more of them, but I think last count I had 26 books. Wow. Um, and the majority are print published in Australia, rural romance, or as we say, contemporary women's fiction. Yeah. That's amazing. That's yeah. really, really well, amazing. I, I'm lucky if I have that many on my bookshelf at the moment. Cause like I said, I always steal from my friend's library. <laughs> <laughs> I've got far too many on my bookshelf. Now, what's I just want to can I just say something about the characters that you said a minute ago? Because I very I feel like as a writer, there's sort of two types of writers there are those that focus more on plot and there are those that focus more on character, and of course, they're intertwined. But I'm like you to me, it's all about the character and what they the emotional sort of reactions in a situation, um, and so. Plotting is is second sort of to the character to me. So you have to let the let the characters sort of make the decision, and that's that's why I'm a pantser, as we call it in the writing <laughs> business, because it's the characters that sort of direct direct the plot. So yeah, I definitely prefer character based novels. I mean, I love good plot as well, but I had a quote a few years ago, and it was a uh, strong characters can carry a weak plot, but a great plot can't save you know weak characters, and I think that's really true. Yeah. Like it's true in life and in books, let's be honest. Yes, true. <laughs> what would you say is your favorite thing about being an author? Oh, there's a few. There's silly ones. Is the fact that I get to work from home, and that's a that's a like blessing and a curse. But it means that I don't have to put on makeup every day, and I'm terrible at you know stuff like that. But the best thing about being an author is when I talk to a reader who's read my book, like and and used something like you've just said about comparing me to Nora Roberts. You know, that's a real buzz. But we get a lot of emails or Facebook messages from people. It's very easy sort of when you're by yourself in your office and, and also when I know other people who seem to be doing so many big important things. You know, I've got a, I know of someone who's a, this is an obstetrician in Niger and, you know, volunteers over there. And then I know other people that do such serious and important jobs 
And I think my husband says I tell lies for a living. You know, he's just our, our little joke. <laughs> he's a supermarket manager, so I say he stacks little tins, you know. But, <laughs> so, but it's true. Sometimes you can go, well, I just tell stories. I just make things up. You know, really, what, what is that doing? And on the, I guess the beginning, like on one level, it's giving people enjoyment and, you know, relaxation, which is great. And we all need that. But the bigger, deeper level is when someone will email you and say, I read one of your books and it really helped me in a certain situation in my life or it made me feel okay about something that I've done or a situation that I'm in. Uh, One amazing story I had recently is I read a book called The Greatest Gift and it's about egg donation. And a lady emailed me, I think, June last year or something. And she said she just read it and she she just turned 40. You know, she didn't have a life partner or any kind of prospects. And she was really depressed because she'd always wanted to be a mum. And then she suddenly thought, you know what? I've owned my house. I've worked hard. I've got supportive family. Because she read my book, which was about that, she thought, I'm going to go on my own and I'm going to find a donor. And so she did. And then in December last year, she emailed me a little announcement that she'd put on Facebook and she said plot twist. And it was that she was having a baby on her own and it's due, you know, this year. And she said she seriously did that because of reading my book. So, you know, that's one little story. But when you hear things like that, it just you just go, okay, this is why this is why you do it, you know, because you don't know who you're going to touch and whose life you're going to help by doing, you know, by something that you think is, is not necessarily that meaningful. Yeah. I feel like graphic design can very much be seen in the same sort of space. Like as a designer so often, you know, it's easy for me to just go, oh, I just make things look pretty. But when I yeah. actually see some of the fundamental differences of, you know, supporting people and really being strategic about things the difference it can make not yeah. only in their businesses but in their life like that you can and their really self see- and their motive i mean their, their self-esteem and things i suppose and confidence and things like that as well yeah and it really can open up like you know it's really hard sometimes to sort of go you know i wish i could do those big important things but mm. i feel like this and when you're in small business you can start to make those choices yourself so yeah. for an example i always like to send little gifts out as thank yous to my contributors but then i realized typically it was champagne and i went actually there's some people that don't drink so i'm going to ask people that you know so i can yeah, see yeah. else but then it was also like someone said to me you know what, I have lots of champagne in my house. And I was like, oh, can I come to your house? Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, she's like, can I get you to donate to a good cause? And I was like, you know what, this ticks so many boxes that I'm still able to say thank you. I'm still able yeah. to donate as well. And it was just, sometimes things come out of the woodwork, you know, where you just go, I wasn't looking for this, but this is a really nice way that it feels good for me. It feels good for other people. And I feel like I'm fundamentally making a difference in some way yes. in somebody's life. I know exactly what you mean. Yeah. And, and you know, sometimes you don't even know, but no, you don't, uh, the, the number of messages you don't get, yeah. you know? Uh, and so, yeah, it, I think yeah, everyone's, we all make, there's all reason for all of us and what we do. We, we need the, we need the amazing people who do these amazing things, but we also need the people that are a bit more subtle and do things that you don't necessarily think are amazing. I mean, I think with the, um, also with the COVID situation last year, suddenly we realised who was important. Um, mm-hmm. And that, you know, is the teachers, the doctors, the supermarket workers, and all, you know, not the people that you necessarily, you know, idolise and look up to as well. Now, what would you say to people? Like, I'm sure you've heard people say, I want to write a book one day. Yep. What would you say to those people? Like, what piece of advice would you give to them? Well, there's a couple. First, I would say, are you a reader? 
because the amount of people that I hear that want to write a book but don't read books and, you know, A, I don't understand. Why do you want to write a book if you're not passionate about books and reading? But maybe they've got a story specifically to tell and if it's non-fiction, it's a different thing. But you really do need, if you want to write fiction, you need to be a reader. So I'd make sure that they're reading. I would ask what they write, um, what they want to write and see if it's the type of thing you're reading because there's a lot of advice that's, you know, write what you know. And I don't necessarily think that's the case. I think you should write what you love and what you're passionate about or what you want to know. So I would say make sure whatever you're writing that you're definitely, you know, into it and you, you, you're obsessed with it type thing. Um, I'm currently trying to work out what to write next and I'm, you know, nothing has spoken to me in that obsessive way yet. I feel like you need to kind of be obsessed with a character or a topic or something. Um, the second thing for you, read a lot, just do it because so many people say they want to do it but they don't have enough time or, you know, they, they don't know where to start. Well, you don't need to, it doesn't need to be perfect. You know, it, it, you need to write and it can take, you know, a number of times to get your, it doesn't have to be perfect the first time. You know, what you read in someone's book has been through, a number of drafts and stuff. So people often don't do it because they're scared of it not being perfect, but it doesn't need to be. You just need to get the first bit down. So that's what I would say is write what you know or what you love, sorry, uh, read a lot and then just start. And the biggest thing is, yeah, if you, you don't think you have the time because so many people say that, as I said, I've, I've, I've been doing, you know, talks and someone will come up to me, I really want to write a book, but um, I've got three kids and, you know, I've, we run a business and the time when they talked to me, I didn't mention, but I did in the middle there when I was also doing relief teaching, my husband and I owned a small supermarket in the wheat belt. So I had three kids, I had a business, but I made time for that. Yes, I didn't iron, the housework went by the wayside. I didn't watch much TV, but you know, the thing is, if you want to do it, you've got to make time for it and you've got to be serious about it. So yeah, sorry, it's a bit of a mishmash of advice there. No, that is so true. I am just going through a coaching program, a new coaching program at the moment with one of our last issues contributors, Suze Chadwick. And we've really had to dig into a lot of that. It's like, if you want this, if it's really important to you, what things are holding you back and what can you remove to make time for? So I hate cleaning. Like, I swear to God, like the amount of time (laughs) that it takes me to clean and the amount of money I could have made in that time, I pay a cleaner. She's amazing. I think some weeks I love her more than my husband. I totally understand. <laughs> I bought a robo vacuum. I called him Craig the second, which my husband's name is Craig. Um, and we also have a cleaner that comes in and does the bathrooms. I've got three kids and a dog. So I feel the grudging of dog that sheds lost. So I don't pay a cleaner to do the whole stuff because it just lasts five minutes. And then I feel, yeah, but it does feel such a waste of time cleaning. No. Well, it's also that one of the things that she pointed out as well was just like being really honest about what things you procrastinate on and where mm-hmm. it's not actually being valuable. Like mine was silly games on my phone. So if I have five yeah. minutes, I'll go on it and suddenly 20 minutes is gone. Well, that 20 minutes could have been something I was doing. And it was like deciding is that game more important or is the thing that I'm really passionate about important? The thing that's, that's true. And I mean, we scroll so much, you know, I waste time scrolling on Instagram and stuff. But I mean, I think. One of the things I've, I was thinking about this morning, actually, is, you know, we don't want to be, you don't like feeling you have to be productive every five seconds and you have to be, you know, always dedicated to your craft. Because I felt guilty about that when I was trying to be published too. If I was doing anything else in sort of free time, I would think, oh, I should be writing, I should be writing. And it goes. So it's a balance. But also I think we sometimes need to, instead of do that procrastinating thing, just step away and do nothing. Because I think your best ideas come 
when you can switch off. And I don't think we switch off enough at the moment. And I'm huge guilty, hugely guilty of that. And I've just sort of been thinking about that more and more, you know, just having some just time where you don't have to do anything or you can just go for a walk or, you know, the best ideas come when you go for a walk or you're in the shower or hanging out in the washing, I think. But we're always, you know, even if we sit down, we just get our phone out. We can't be bored anymore. And I think that really has an effect on creativity. Yeah. That's what they say about kids, right? Let them be bored. Let them yeah. have their imagination. Exactly. <laughs> We all need to go back to our childhoods again. Yes, but not the childhood people are having now. (laughs) What would you say, I know that you said that you weren't a huge reader, but do you have a book that spawned this love of reading for you? Yes, I was kind of a big reader in primary school and then I kind of fell away in high school, which so many people I think do for various reasons. One, I was obsessed with boys instead and that took a lot of time. to the Hence the romance novels. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> the books that make you read in high school are not really, you know, they're not accessible to a lot of adults, never mind teenagers. And I hope it's changing slightly because, as you said before, there's so much more out there now for teenagers to read. But the book, I think, that really sort of sparked my... So it was actually an infant in my life that sparked my decision to write. And then I found reading at the same kind of time. And one of the books that I read in those first you know, a few months was Bridget Jones' diary. And I think, you know, it was relatable at that time in life. It was enjoyable, made me laugh, made me a bit sad in places, you know. Um, and it, it, it really made me realise, actually I'm a slow learner, so it took me a, a little while after this, but looking in hindsight, I realised, you know, I don't have to write serious, important fiction or what other people think is serious, important fiction and it's going to win a Booker Prize or Pulitzer, which is what my university people were trying to, you know, say was, you know highbrow literary fiction you don't have to write that to make an impact and that you can write fun enjoyable stories that you know like beach reads we call or you know you read on holiday but they can still be about serious and important issues and that book sounds a bit silly maybe if you don't you're trying to think now what are the serious important issues but but you know it is it's about identity and it's about love and the big issues in life really and it made me realize but yeah, you can write an enjoyable, fun, lighthearted book that makes you laugh that can still make an impact and be important. So yeah, that's probably it. I feel like that's something that it's the same in graphic design. Like it's really easy to, um, if you haven't found your niche or you haven't found the thing that's your thing and felt comfortable yeah. stepping up as yourself and owning it. Like I was the kid that loved bright colors and rainbows and all over the place and stuff like that. And I remember when I went into graphic design, it was like I was supposed to hide that because, you know, went through a very stark modern sort of stage. And then there was this importance. Yeah. And then it was like this botanicals, there was all these styles and stuff like that. And because I didn't fit into that space, there was trends and stuff. Yeah. There wasn't space for me. And once I actually started to own who I was, it meant that I didn't need to compare anymore. I didn't need to. Yes be in that space of worrying what people thought because I was so comfortable with myself that it was taken away by the people that liked me. That's amazing. We're my people. And I think that's a lesson that we all should keep remembering because it's so easy in the day in this era of social media, especially, I think, to compare yourself with other people because you can const- you're constantly seeing what other people in your field are doing you know, that they're writing more or, draw, you know, designing more, then have, you know, getting more contracts or success or whatever. And, you know, it, I think we need to look back on what we want to do and what we really want out of things and what's important to us. And also look on how far we've come, you know, like what I always I ever wanted was to make a teaching wage from my writing. And I do that. Yet 
I have to remind myself that sometimes when I'm thinking, oh, but I'm not, you know, published overseas. I'm not on the New York Times bestsellers. No one's wanted to make my book into a movie. You know, it, it's so easy to look at what you don't have rather than what you do have. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it's good to remind yourself those sort of things sometimes, I think. Well, I imagine you probably experienced that sort of a, a lot as an author because the realisation is, is it's a career where you're kind of the product. As much as you create a product for sale, yep. a lot of what you must do must be around personal brand. And even more so, like, so the first, my first book was published in 2012, I think, or the end of 2011. And even then, you know, Facebook was a thing. I don't think Instagram was. <laughs> um, and it was coming so it around to it. I think coming it was, around, you know, yeah. like, but it was, it was very different um, to how it is now where authors are supposed to uh, be on social media, you know, doing videos, uh, writing, not blogs. I think that was blogs were about the only thing that was kind of then, you know, taking up your time. Um, but now, and that's just writing. Now, you know, you're supposed to be in front of the screen. You're supposed to interact with people. And it's great. I love, you know, doing videos and I love talking to my readers and things like that. But it's a whole part of being a writer that I never contemplated when I was actually writing, you know, my first book. You know, I might have thought about doing library talks or bookshop events, but I never imagined that I would have to be, on social media for much of my day, you know, and you know, in some ways you don't have to, there's some very successful authors that don't, but the majority of people, you know, they do have to be on social media and doing these platforms and it's time consuming and it's exhausting. Even if it is enjoyable, it takes that. I remember I went to a conference a few years ago. This is not about social media, but one of the authors who was presenting said, because there was a number of inspiring writers as well as published authors, one of the authors was presenting, and I can't remember who it was, said, if you are in a desk job, you know, another job all day that requires your mental capacity, like so it's not something that's just, you know, I'm trying to think of without in front, in, in front, but it's not something. Stacking tins. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's not just stacking <laughs> tins, you know. Then, you know, you, to come home then and try, you know, put everyone, do other stuff, do dinner or whatever you have to do, and then to sit down at your computer or to, the notebook and to try and work for two hours creatively, it's just, you know, kind of, it's, it's almost impossible because you've already used your brain capacity. And I think very much it's, it's similar with social media. You know, that is, that does take a part of what, you know, you would usually put in creative. So I think it's one of those things we're all sort of struggling with these days, you know, how much and you've got to uh, work out a system, which is hard for people like me who are not very organized. I'm much more random and you know, I'd you know, rather post when I feel like it and then check on when I feel like it. But at the same time, you need to protect the stuff that is actually the business and that is the writing and that is producing books. And it's easy for the other things to sort of almost take over. And I think when it comes from a place of just showing up as yourself, it can be a really powerful thing because people connect you to your stories. Definitely. And when you're actually selling stories, you can't have much better than that, can you? <laughs> yeah, exactly. You want to be, I mean, I don't think that's the biggest thing about social media, not that I'm any expert, but that you want to be real, as real as you can mm. on there. So people, and, that, and that's, I guess, also a bit confronting because you are opening yourself up to a whole load of people that, you know, you only know through the internet, really. So, yeah, the whole new world we're living in. <laughs> and, hey, we wouldn't have met if we hadn't exactly. been in that space anyway, right? That's why there's such amazing, you know, there's so many, I've met so many great people through um, either Instagram or Facebook. So there's so many pros. I think it's just a matter of, of working out how to manage it and to make sure it's not taking away from other important parts of your life. So the final piece of advice I would love to get from you, because I know that we talk a lot of people 
you know, change career paths can be a really scary thing because, you know, a lot yeah. of the time you've dedicated a lot of your time and money to study in a certain area. And I know that yours have blurred ever so slightly. However, what advice would you have for those who are scared to change direction in their careers? It's, that's a really hard question because I think a lot of it is just going out on a limb and hoping for the best and having faith in, your, you know, in yourself and confidence, which is that it, that it is going to work. And then part of it is a, practic- is a practical thing. Like I think you do need to be, look at your situation realistically and go, can I afford to do this? So my actual advice would be if you can, do it slowly um, and, you know, take time, maybe cut down to a couple of days a week in your actual job if you can. And so you've still got that sort of safety net of, of, an, of a, you know, your, your income uh, that, that you know is there if, if it doesn't work out because I think that gives less pressure on the passion. Elizabeth Gilbert, who wrote Big Magic and a whole other book, load of books, but Big Magic is a great book for anyone sort of been creativity you read that <laughs> she does say that you know it's very hard if your passion is required to pay the bills and I definitely know how that feels and I've had that for the last few years and it does put a certain pressure on your creativity we're all you know able to be independent and all that kind of stuff but it, it, joking aside it, it is kind of good if you're in a stable place and that's why in some ways often people say writing is a, is a privileged job if you can afford to give up your your, and I guess there's a lot of, if you can afford to give up and pursue a passion, that's a privilege. So if you can't do that, then I would say it doesn't have to be all or nothing. If you're looking for your next feel good fiction fix, Rachel Johns is the answer for you. I've read two of her books and I've already added to cart on many more. And believe me, you'll love them as much as I do. Thank you for joining us today. If you would like to see more, Subscribe to Brand New Magazine over at www.brandumagazine.com.au. Every three months you will receive the new issue direct to your inbox, full of gorgeous design, freebies and discounts, and interactive links that will allow you to connect with our contributors. And check out our Instagram for more inspiration to be your business and brand you.